0: Welcome to Native Yoga podcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, bodywork and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Hello and welcome. I am pleased to bring my special guest today, Shana Small. Shana is a yoga teacher in Charlotte, North Carolina. She is really gifted in her ability to keep yoga real and down to earth and make it accessible for everyone. She's got a great platform. I highly recommend that you follow her, check her out on Instagram. I'll have the links in the notes below. However, she's at wellness underscore yogini. You can also find her on her website, ashtangayogaproject.com. I'm so happy that you're here and that you have an opportunity here now to meet Shana Small. Let's begin. I'm really excited to have the chance to talk to Shana. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing really well. Thank you. My friend Robin follows you on Instagram, and the other day she sent me a message, and she said she loves your work, and she she sent me a couple of your posts, and she recommended. She's like, you got to invite her onto your podcast, and so I really, I, I'm really appreciative for you taking some time to to join me today. Thank you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, my pleasure.
0: And just so I can learn a little bit about about you, are you you're a Ashtanga yoga teacher?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a yoga teacher. Um, my lineage is from Ashtanga, um, but you know, I I do more than teach Ashtanga the way that people see it, coming from the Joyce family. So I do want to be clear about that. Um, I basically explore the intersection between Um, yoga and social justice in general and accessibility so a lot of my work is around um, social justice and accessibility um, and I also still do ashtanga.
0: (laughs) Nice how long have you been practicing yoga?
1: I have been practicing for about 20 let's see about 21 years.
0: Nice how did, you, yeah. how did you first come in contact with it?
1: So it was when I was in college. Yoga was starting to get, you know, quote-unquote popular uh, in the West. And uh, I was in college in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was hearing all about, you know, yoga and it was everywhere. And, you know, I like this idea of at the time, I thought of it as like, oh, there's this um, – spiritual practice that to work out at the same time, you know, I was young and that's what I was thinking. And I was like, this all sounds really good. Yeah. Um, and then, so I went to a gym and, you know, just took some random yoga classes and I, I liked it. Um, and the woman who was teaching there, she was moving. And so I was kind of left without a community and I didn't know what to do. Well, fast forward, um, when I was in college, I was taking this rhetoric class. It's basically, you know, philosophy, philosophy, critical thinking type of class. And one day my um, professor was like, you know, said something about being a yoga teacher. And I was like, this is great. So I went up to a master class. I was like, he teaches yoga. And he was like, yeah, I teach Yangar yoga. Um, and he actually was certified by BKS um, Yangar nice. um, and went through the whole process. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, you know, should I come practice with you? Should I come practice a yangar yoga? And he looked at me and he said, no. (laughs) I'm like, okay.
0: Why why do you think he said that?
1: Well, this is what he said. He said, no. He said, "Uh, you're young and you have a lot of energy. I think you should practice Ashtanga." And so he gave me the name of a studio that was um, practicing, um, that was doing Ashtanga at the time in Atlanta. It's since been sold to somebody else and I don't even know what they're doing, but um, it was a struggle yoga land at the time, and it was owned by um, a woman named Adele Gill. And he was like, you know, you should go over there and you should practice Ashtanga. And that was it. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. went <and> I, <laughs> I went and I practiced. I went and I Ashtanga, and I loved it. I loved the community. I loved the practice. Um, I loved the philosophy that went with it, and I just dived right in. That's
0: that's awesome. I, it's also pretty cool that he was. Uh, willing to suggest something that was he thought you would like versus just saying, "Just come and practice with me. Nobody else is good. I'm the only one." You know, like that's a <laughs> that's a pretty cool stance to take, or that he was that he was you know offered that to you.
1: It, it, it really was
0: right. And you know, one thing that I really have been enjoying looking at the pictures that you post on Instagram is um, how. Many different ways you've created and or incorporate into teaching, say, like a pose like Baddha Konasana, which is where we can sit and bring our feet together and let the knees open. Like you give a whole bunch of different ideas and ways to do that. But in a lot of it looks like it may be inspired by Yingar Yoga. But I'm curious, are you kind of just figuring it out for yourself as you go, as you work with people or have you done training in that Uh, restorative and therapeutic side to help blend that into your stanga practice?
1: All of it. Um, So basically all throughout my years of actually teaching yoga, which is roughly um, I've been practicing like 21 years teaching for like 15, 16 years. Nice. And so during that whole time I always had people come to me and say that things weren't working for them. Mm. And at the time I was just very dogmatic about um, Ashtanga and what I thought yoga was. And so to be honest with you, I just didn't really listen (laughs) to those people. I was like, Oh no, they just don't practice enough. Mm. And basically in my mind and verbally and the way I was teaching was basically gaslighting. You know people yeah. um and i did that for a long time and i don't know it was like somewhere around 2000 and somewhere around 2018 i just started going through this awakening i just started <laughs> to like yes but what if we really are not paying attention to certain populations within the yoga world. Mm. What if we really aren't as inclusive as we think we are? And then shortly after I started having those thoughts, um, I had an accident. Um, so I fell down the stairs. Um, and when I fell down the stairs, um, I didn't know at the time I sprained, um, my ligaments, uh, in my sacrum. And I went to the doctor and he told me this one thing and then a few months later it was still happening and I went back and he was like, listen, you need to go get an x-ray. Um, so after I got my x-ray, I found out that I had arthritis, that I had this um, certain type of anatomy where um, my S1, I think is what it's called and the L5 or L4, whatever is at the base of the uh, of the spine, those are fused together on the left side. Mm. And then not only are refused, but through years of ignoring that um, I had eroded my disc. Um, and so I had arthritis and inflammation along with the sprained ligament. Wow. And so this just started like a whole brand new chapter. It was like the universe was telling me this about this journey. And it was like, I needed kind of this bigger thing to happen for me to really like dive into it. And so then I was confronted with the fact that there was absolutely no way for me to continue my Ashtanga practice in the way that I dogmatically had thought that it needed to go. And, you know, and that all this whole time that, you know, people were trying to tell me this themselves Mm. and that I was not listening to what people were telling me about their bodies and what their bodies could not do. And a lot of that has to do with kind of the culture of Ashtanga that developed and I'm not even saying it actually, you know, started with the Joyce, with the type Joyce or anything, but they yeah. developed this idea that, well, anybody can do anything. It's just, they're not working hard enough. They're mm. not, you know, eating the right things, their lifestyle, they don't want it hot enough. And it's absolutely untrue. And yes. then that made me start to look at, okay, who's missing in the room? Who's missing in the world of yoga? Who's missing in the Ashtanga room? Why are they missing? And so all of these questions came about. So as far as how I know, um, what I know, I started to embrace um, teachers such as you know Diane Bondi, um, who um, teaches a training called Yoga for All, um, and where she you know trains teachers on how to work with all these different types of bodies. And then Amber Carnes works with her, and then you know my eyes just started to open to all of these things that I was I was seeing but had ignored in a whole different world and started working with Alexandria Crow last year, who's all about um, all about, you know, reimagining yoga poses in a way that works for more of the population.
2: Mm.
1: And then I started um, studying trauma. And so I studied with Natia Gessel at the Trauma Conscious Yoga um, Method and got certified in that. So, and that just opened doors to a lot of things I've studied with or went to trainings with Basil Vandekal, who wrote the body keeps the score and started studying like the work of Stephen Porges and people like that. And all of that just kind of comes together into how I practice now. Like I had to learn how to practice in a different way. And then it opened my eyes to the needs of other people. And so I still consider myself to be an a shundi. Um It's just, you know, I'm actually am teaching according to what I need and other people need. versus what people think the system is supposed to
0: be that's so inspirational shana because um i love hearing that that's amazing i think that uh i I love the fact i was trying to guess when you started to try to go back into the date that you had i love how you said i had an awakening or like my, my yoga like an awakening process and and i was wondering like I wonder if she's going to say like two thousand and eighteen or two thousand seventeen because I have a, I've been having a similar kind of turnaround with my Ashtanga practice, and uh, so I was really happy to hear that you say like just in a few years ago that this is also kind of evolving for you. I think um, uh, that to be able to adjust and shift and change and not do it according to the way that we've been kind of thinking it has to be done is is like a total awakening process. I love. I totally cracked up when I saw um, you did a post that you said one day your asana practice will move in reverse. And I like right when I read that, I thought, oh, I love that. <laughs> That's so great. Can you like tell me yeah. more what you think about that in terms of like? Because I mean, reverse doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing, right? Like, because mm-hmm. there was always those jokes before where like you said you're in the stronger room and you're pushing it and then you you know you hear someone that was a little bit maybe older or had worked through an injury that would say you know you're going to go backwards in your practice and and then i remember thinking to myself that's never going to happen to me there's no way you know and you and like you said that culture of you know if maybe that person is just doesn't have enough energy or isn't going willing to work hard enough and I, and i love that you're bringing up the fact that that isn't true there's more there's more dynamic to it than that what, what, how would you describe like your practice moving in reverse? Do you see that as a negative? Or it sounds to me like you feel like that's a really positive thing.
1: So I've posted that almost like as a call for people to start to look at this idea of impermanence, mm. which is really what we're supposed to be looking at anyway in the yogic tradition. The yogic tradition talks about impermanence in so many different ways. This idea of non attachment, this idea of, you know, fear death, this, you know, idea of what liberation from who we think we are uh, actually is. And like, it's yoga practices constantly talking about this idea of impermanence. Um, and, but yet in the yoga world, there's this, and in the world in general, the world in general denies impermanence it denies death mm, yeah. and the reality is that we're all going to die one day and we kind of um, bury it somewhere and so for me the post was like okay let's look at that. this impermanence that your practice is not going to continue on this way forever and when that moment happens when things start to move in reverse then like what defines your practice mm. what is practice going to be then how are you going to handle it then um and i wanted to just get people to just start thinking to really sit with this idea of the impermanence of of their practice and it can be a positive thing um in the yoga tradition they talk about this thing called the ashrama dharmas which is like these uh stages in life and once we get to like the the end of our life it creates this opportunity to really sit and contemplate and be with, because as we get older, we do start to slow down physically and we're not as active in the world mm. and, and not as focused on the body. Right. Because that, that, you know, <laughs> us being on the yeah. cover of, you know, a fashion magazine, is kind of, it failed. And so then we have this amazing opportunity to go deeper So if we can embrace impermanence as that part of our practice starts to go backwards, we can all all start to move forward in other parts of our practice Mm. at that moment. Um, And I I wish really, and I've had this conversation with some other people, like I wish that our, our yoga community honored that transition Mm. And, and actually, like, kind of created a space a in the community for that transition so that people don't have to feel that they've got to be putting their leg behind their head forever and in order to have a place in the Estonga community that they have to be doing all this craziness. And, you know, I wish, like I tell people sometimes, that right around 2016, that's when I went to um, my trip to Mysore, mm-hmm. um, and right around that it right around that time I was like peak body wise as far as the poses and stuff that I was going to do and I don't know how I knew that it was I guess there was like a premonition that something was going to happen I don't know but <laughs> there was a thought in my mind I was like this is probably going to this is probably my peak right now Yeah. Um and then sometimes I'm like well if that was my peak then why not at that moment if we're saying that yoga is to prepare us for sitting for contemplation. Mm. Why at that moment when my body was feeling its most balanced, why isn't it a part of our culture to stop pushing the body and move the focus over to the more, you know, mm. meditative, contemplative mm. pranayama that's the next set of the limbs? Yeah. Right? If we're all yeah. telling ourselves a story that we do asanas to be able to sit comfortably then why are we not, once we can sit comfortably, not sitting, right? And, I, you know, that would have been so much better than me having to fall down the stairs and <laughs> almost break myself <laughs> to sit down, <laughs> you know? <Right>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh, I hear you. That, that's a great question. I love the idea how you're bringing up that if we honored – our aging process and that that was acknowledged because i think sometimes what happens in the ashtanga room is we hit our peak and then as soon as we start to potentially maybe feel like the reverse is happening people stop practicing like they they, they like it just almost like there's this feeling that like if i'm not moving forward then what's the point i should just stop but i don't know it seems really enjoyable to still practice but just modify and do it really gently. Yeah. And so I, yeah. I, I, I know. I think I think it is important. I think this is a really important topic. It, for for those, and our that, yeah.
1: culture has to like support that too. Like I had someone come to me a couple of months ago, and she was like, basically, once she started moving backwards in her practice, her teacher didn't know what to do with her. Mm. And this is like, I'm not going to name the person's name, but like a famous teacher that everybody knows. And she felt like all of a sudden, like her teacher did not know what to do with her. When she got to the point where she was like, well, no, I can't do that pose because of my hip mm-hmm. and I can't do that because of this, it was like her teacher didn't know what to do with her, and this feeling of kind of like grief or loss was like in her voice. Mm-hmm. From And I was like, gosh, no one should be yeah. should, be, should yeah. feel that way. And, and to think there's probably lots of people who just quit, and we don't even know that they feel that way.
0: You know, I... I I mean, I've just really, I mean, I, I've been enjoying looking at your posts and I, I found one that you wrote, Um, you know, this is maybe what a gaslighter would say, quote, they were hard to work with, end quote. And then, then you had below that like translation, quote, I was not able to manipulate them, end quote. That's, that's heavy and kind of that makes sense right i mean it sounds Mm -hmm. like in relation to what you were saying just now with uh potentially you know like someone coming and just saying look i just can't work with you you know i just you're just too difficult and and i yeah
1: yeah that's what it is it's like well yeah i can't but you don't want more poses what you you want you don't want to do it this way well
0: then yeah that's interesting what um is that something like when you're teaching and you, I mean, sometimes I do feel that way. And then I realize after a little bit of time goes by, I realize that I was just having a bad day. Like as a, from a teaching perspective, like maybe I was going mm-hmm. through a tough time. And then I, someone comes in with a bunch of like intense energy and I'm just like, I just can't work with that today. Like that's too much for me. <laughs> and then after, mm-hmm. once I calm down, I start to feel more like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm ready again. I feel ready. Do you have any techniques or things that you look for or like triggers that you notice that help you to kind of work through that as a teacher?
1: Well, something that I tell um, people who work with me as far as teaching, I tell them that if someone comes into your room that you feel you can't work with, that is an opportunity for you to become stronger as a teacher. That is your opportunity to fill in the gap mm. of your knowledge. And, but a lot of times what happens, and I know I've in this in my past, there's this kind of like gaslighting or dismissal. Instead of admitting myself, I don't have the tools to work with you, and I apologize, and I'm sorry, and I am going to go learn more. Mm. And I I'm gonna I'm gonna have these tools. And thank you so much for like being a teacher for me today and, and and letting me see that instead of being like, Well, you know, you just gotta keep coming.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: oh, you're not working hard enough. Mm. Well, you know, no. you need to do this and you need to do that, you need to change your lifestyle and all of this. Well it that might be true, but if you should be able to work with that person and their body right now with whatever lifestyle they showed up with mm-hmm. and still be able to, to to help them in whatever it is that they came there to achieve. Cause someone, everybody comes to our yoga class cause they're looking for something in particular that they think that we have or that the yoga has. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we find out what that is and meet them where they are and, you know, to kind of gaslight someone because we don't have the technique to be able to work with that particular person where mm-hmm. they are. Yep. Um, it, to me. It's horrible. And it's on us as a teacher to learn more. So that's what I tell people. Like yeah. yep. if someone comes into my room and I don't have the tools. That's on me. Yep. That's not their fault. Yep. That's on me. It's on me to find the tools. And it's also on me to regulate myself. Part yeah. of trauma conscious teaching is the fact that you, we have to be regulated before we teach people Um, and so if I'm in a class and I get unregulated that's also something that I've got to deal with and and I have to be also honest with the student if I get dysregulated during class and not also not blame it on them I, I am so sorry I am totally off today and I apologize to you this is not my best and not what I wanted to put forth to you Instead of making it also about
0: about them, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. great advice. That's awesome, Shana. I recently got an email from somebody that posited a very simple question. They said, "Do you offer trauma-based yoga?" And my reply was, "I don't." However, I do know that yoga is beneficial. You know if if you do have trauma and I'm you know open to if you have any further inquiries or questions and then I'm so on that note though I'm kind of curious am I overlooking something by not acknowledging more like you know by by saying well you could come to a, a, one of our regular classes and then you know potentially you'll get benefit can you help me understand more the approach from the trauma angle, like if I were to have a class that was specifically trauma-orientated uh, and or, you know, focused on helping to relieve trauma, can you help me understand what that would look like?
1: For sure. Um, so the way that I learned it from Natita and the studies that um, I've done is that, you know, there's a difference between like a class that's fully trauma-informed and trauma-conscious and then a class that uses um some trauma conscious informed techniques. Mm. Um, like when I teach people um about trauma informed, I tell I'll tell them that, you know, you can use a few of the tools out of the bag or you might be using all the tools in the bag. It just uh depends. So in a true trauma conscious class, the teacher is teaching to the most hyper vigilant person in the room. That means that whoever the person is in there that has the most trauma they're going to be teaching according to that person Mm. why because you don't want to re-traumatize someone that person is the most sensitive person in the room so for someone who's regulated they may go to class and they don't like it and it's just like a feeling of i don't like it that was horrible what a bad night but someone who is had trauma they go to a class that doesn't work for them that might mean that they're going into psychosis mm. right it's a yeah. completely yeah. different thing that they're going to have an anxiety attack mm. that might mean that they're going to go back and hit the bottle they're going to go back and start drinking right. they're going to go back and with their eating disorder they have a lot more to lose so in a true trauma-informed trauma informed trauma of country class you are number one going to um, teach to the you know most hyper vigilant person um the most traumatized And number two, what you're trying to do is to the best of your ability, you know, you can't win them all, but to your to the best of your ability to not re-traumatize anyone. Mm. That is your number one goal. Your number one goal is not to work out. Your number one goal is not the PCS stronger method. It is to not re-traumatize someone. And so then there's a whole kind of like, protocol and learning that goes along with teaching that type of class. Um which is different from what most people do, which is, okay, you showed up for the nine thirty hot vinyasa class. And yeah. what does that entail? That entails that we turn the heat up to, you know, one oh five, it puts the humidity on at forty <laughs> yeah. percent, that we put the music on at this 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 it, type of music and yeah. this type of volume yeah. and this is what it means to take this class. Mm. And so if you show up and you're hyper vigilant, it's like, well, you showed up to the 930 class and this is what we do at this particular class. And you know, if you need to leave, you can leave when you want to, and if something makes you uncomfortable, you can go to tiles or mm-hmm. or whatever. Like yep. that's yep. what the normal person does. Yep. Whereas with the trauma conscious, really true trauma conscious class it's like that person shows up and i had on my lesson plan that we were going to turn the heat up to 105 degrees we're going to listen to little wayne um and move really fast right (laughs) but if that person showed up and and they were like oh uh really loud music. It 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 um, takes me I, I can't do it. It yeah. it triggered me yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Then that would mean that we had no music that class. Yeah. Even if it made, you know, Karen over here upset because Karen always comes to the nine thirty hot class. Yeah. Karen is not vigilant. She's just mad. Yeah. But this person over here. Yeah. I'm gonna teach to them. Yeah. So to what they need that because makes if sense. this person leaves they may have an anxiety attack. They might start using it again. So this is the person that I'm going to be teaching to. And it's more like that. And there's more to it than that, but that's the idea versus yeah. what we do now. So it's like anyone can put trauma-informed frameworks around their class. And honestly, my source style, honestly, is a fairly easy method to use mm. to put trauma-informed to because you're teaching to the person. Um, so it can work really well with my soul style, to, it really can. Um, but yeah, so when someone is like, if someone called me and they are like, is this class, you know, you're teaching trauma conscious or trauma informed, I'll be like, yeah, I use some of the trauma principles, but it's not fully trauma informed. Um, so for me, it's like, I understand what they're saying. Um, and if I know that I'm working at a yoga studio and the 930 class has to be hot and fast, I'm not going to be like, this is trauma. <laughs> a trauma yep. not Yep.
0: I appreciate you explaining that. That makes total sense. I, I am curious in relation to you said the first element, which was that you teach to the person who you you focus at least to the person that has had the most amount of trauma. And obviously, how, how is that deciphered? Is that something that usually you have like an intake session with someone prior to, to have a sense of where they're coming from, or is it something that you just read in the moment? That's very into like, you know, just in the moment of just getting a sense of the way maybe you read their body language or something that's happening. How do you, how do you know that?
1: So, I mean, if you have information, that's great, but normally yeah. we don't. So there are, you know, there are things that are involved in a trauma informed framework and if someone was going to be teaching that, they would pretty much be using certain um, kind of frameworks throughout the class. And what the framework does is it um, creates a space that um, it holds a space, a container for healing. Mm. So there's a lot of things involved in it. And, um, and I definitely recommend the Traumas Con- trauma conscious yoga method that Natita Gessel does and okay. you, can, you can do it online okay. for anyone who really wants to know more about the framework. Yeah. But there's certain things you do, like for instance predictability. Mm. You make sure that the you know the students know exactly what's gonna happen, how it's going to happen, how the class is going to go down. If you do anything that, you know, is not in line with whatever you told them, you, you, you let them know. Mm. Um, you don't, you know, walk up behind them. You don't do mm. anything without permission. Yeah. It's very, um, inviting to explore type of thing other and not I'm um, telling you to do this or you have to do this and you have to do it this way. It's more, um, uh, inviting people to explore certain things about their body. It's very like the teacher and the student having this interaction together to figure out what is uh, best for, um, the student. There's normally not a lot of touching, mm-hmm. um, involved, mm-hmm. um, there's, Just a certain things that um, that go along with teaching in a trauma informed way. Mm. But you know, if you're just going to add this to, like, say, a mindful class, it would be the again letting them know what's going to happen. You know, explaining what it means to practice mindful style. You know, what times can you show up? What times can you leave? How the room is broken down like okay over here is where we do our closing and over here like that type of thing just like explaining it and 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 that type of stuff really makes someone feel comfortable and like more safe because they know what what's going to happen And listening to the student and noticing their their cues like if you ask them to do a particular pose and you notice they pause or you notice their breath starts to speed up or you notice they're looking around the room Mm -hmm. or they're afraid to take their socks off and noticing all of those little things as you talk to them and not ignoring them or gaslighting them or anything like that. But actually, you know, I see that um, you're hesitant to do this Chaturanga. Can you can we talk about this and can you explain to me and where, what's going on in your mind, like really getting them involved so that they feel that they're important, that you value them, that you really listen to them. So you can do those types of things, and then you, you'll start to get, your, get to know the students. Yeah. Um, as a result yeah. of this kind of open um, communication it's really hard to do i'm not gonna lie in these huge group everybody does the same thing yeah. type of yeah. setting yeah it really is
0: yeah that makes sense that's so interesting that, could, that i i'm thinking um like one thing that i do appreciate about sequ- sequential practice is the 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 no surprises you know the mm-hmm. you kind of know what you're getting so i really understand what you're saying about that in terms of and if i've if i have experienced trauma and all of a sudden you just like rip the rug out from underneath me all of a sudden and change it up that would be that could be really difficult and it's it seems like such an interesting balance of of the comfort that can come from the sequential order but yet the also like you said being super flexible with being able to change in the moment to suit the needs of the individual. So that seems like a pretty incredible skill to develop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It seems like (laughs) it would make teaching like really dynamic.
1: It would make teaching actually teaching. Like I think a lot of people don't really teach now. They Mm. regurgitate words. um, They're like more like choreographers. They choreograph an experience. Mm. Um, and to me like I mean that's entertainment and it's cool and it can be very beneficial to have a choreographed experience you know I'm down for a choreographed experience but teaching is really seeing the person that showed up in the room and figuring out how I can be of service how can I help this particular person and a lot of people don't teach anymore you go to teacher training and they teach you some type of sequence. You memorize that thing, and then you start teaching. Yeah, and that's not really teaching, in my viewpoint. It's not. So okay, yeah, it just yeah. to me, it just requires you to actually teach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, if if you do, you hold down a Mysore style class currently, and/or are, are you teaching? Are you teaching that that type of? you know, way currently?
1: Yeah, I tell people, like, when I'm international, but I tell people um, in that, so I do pop-up classes in Charlotte here. So I do, you know, keep the my store here in Charlotte and have a new program actually starting in um, November um, in Davidson, North Carolina, if anybody listening even knows what that is. Um, but yeah, I do have a new program that's <laughs> going to be starting in person, um, here in Charlotte, Davidson is right outside of Charlotte. Um, but yeah, I do teach, um, that, but I do a lot of, um, I go into a lot of YPTs and teach, um, accessibility, um, social social justice, trauma-informed. Um, I do a lot of that, um, a lot of speaking that way. I do a lot of private, um, so, like, I'm kind of everywhere. I'm not holding down a full skill program, but I do plan we'll be starting one in November. So that'll be great. Um, so, yeah.
0: That's cool. And, and I'm thinking if, you, if you're blending the way of teaching that you're mentioning where you're actually letting people do it in a way that's appropriate for them, are you still starting at the ground zero of Surya Namaskar? and then trying to figure out a way that, or sun salutation A, to figure out a way to um, help them learn something like that? Or do you really, like, approach it from a a different angle?
1: So if someone is coming to me and they want to learn Ashtanga Yoga, yeah, I'm going to start with, you know, the traditional pseudonymus A and B. And I'm going to watch their body and going to listen to them as they tell me, you know, give me feedback on what feels good, what doesn't, what's working, what is not working, what's going on in their body, and then we're going to adjust. The, you know, Surya Namaskar and Surya Namaskar be accordingly. So when I teach, yeah. when I teach Ashtanga, someone comes to me and they want Ashtanga, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. They want something else that's different. Yeah. But if they want Ashtanga, I still use that framework. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the framework does have to get chucked. But, um, I start, yeah, I, I start with the framework, um, yeah. and see how I can play within the framework. And there are times where
2: you can't play
1: within the framework. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times you can play within the framework. So I just see how I can still play around with the framework. Like I teach um charashtanga. I've got courses on um Om stars where I've done um Cherashtanga. Nice. I've taught workshop where we've done Cherashtanga. I'm gonna be at the accessible yoga conference that's coming up in October and I'm gonna be doing a Cherashthanga class. Fun. So it's like there's a lot um that you can do and still be within the framework. Yeah. I can do a sun salute completely seated on a chair. I can do a sun salute standing in front of a chair. I can do a sun salute laying on my back on the floor. Mm. Um, there's like, and you, you, and when I do it, and when I teach it to someone, it's still in line with the rhythm yeah. of a surya Namaskar A. Nice. So they could be, you know, you could have, you know, whoever you think is the most advanced, a stronger person in the world, in the same room with that person in the chair and the one laying on the floor, and they could still do a singing on a A and B together and still be at a rhythm. Um, so I do feel like there's ways to move within the framework as long as you just have um, uh, imagination. That's really missing in a lot of people's teaching is imagination. Um, <laughs> if you have a lot of imagination and you listen to people, then I, there are ways to stay within the framework or best there, so yeah. Yeah. I try my best to stay within the framework unless it just gets to a point where it's like, it just, it, it's not going yeah. to happen. Yeah. Like part of my arthritis means that I can't fold a lot. I can, but if I do too much, then I start to hurt. So that means primary series. I mean, <laughs> all four folds. It's like, I'll it, like I, I probably it, do primary it, series like, yeah. once every couple of weeks. Usually it's second, and even uh-huh. when I do second, I have to do things with it, yeah. right? So it's like, I play within the lines as much as I can, but at some point, it's like, this is no longer benefiting the person. Yeah. Like, that's what happened with that lady I was telling you about. Her teacher was like, didn't know what to do with her, and she was basically just doing a lot of placeholder postures uh-huh. that were not giving her any benefit.
0: Pl- placeholder. Just, well, this,
1: <laughs> basically, like, this yeah. kinda looks like the posture so do it, but yeah. there was no benefit coming from uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. So sometimes it's like, it's That's... better, instead of doing something that looks like yeah. and Marie TC and and it's not doing anything, yeah. it's best to come up with something like, okay, what does Marie TC do? What does your body do? How can we give you some Marie TC benefits? Yeah. Um, because just sitting here doing something that looks like Marie TC, you're just sitting here doing something that looks like what <laughs> you So at some point, it's like you have to like reimagine, as Alexandria would say, the whole posture yeah. and figure out what we want from it. Um, but even then, I'm still thinking about the framework of shunga as I do it.
0: I love it. Like you're making me really enthusiastic. I can't wait to get into the room <laughs> with some people right now. <laughs>
1: yeah it it does it makes it more exciting like to me it's exciting to think about the possibilities of working with students now that I don't have to do this thing that looks like a triangle and and it can be something completely totally different that actually works for this person I mean to me I find that to be delightful and like I don't know inspiring instead of like feeling like
0: Oh, bad lady, not doing the kind stuff. <laughs> <laughs> do do you get pushback? Do you, do you find, you know, you're often running and doing your thing, but do you, you know, get that, I hate to even say, like air quote, traditional yoga person, you know, that gives you pushback about th- thinking like this? Because it seems like be, it would be, I can't see an argument that could, could really go against what you're saying, but do you ever get it? pushback
1: um i get positive response um for the most part from the yoga community um sometimes it's not it's a it's the tone if that makes sense it's like a um ooh. Like somebody doesn't have to tell you that you're not part of the cool kids and, mm. and for you to for someone to know they're not part of the cool kids. Mm. And not that I don't think I'm part of the cool kids. Um, it's just like, I'm just trying to say sometimes it's like a, yeah. she's doing Ashtanga but not really doing Ashtanga. Like, yeah. like yeah. kind of feeling that kind of comes from some people. But then once they hear me talk and they see what I'm doing, then they totally get it. I think yeah. a lot of it is just like, you know, when you're very dogmatic about something, it starts to get concretized, and when it gets concretized, people start to get afraid, and that fear makes them afraid to question and see things in a different way. Mm -hmm. But once they listen to me talk, and they actually follow me and see what I'm doing, then they completely understand um, what's going on. So that's why I say it's, you know, pretty, pretty positive.
0: Yep. Cool. I would, I would imagine, I think what you said is true, like once they start hearing you talk about it and showing that you're actually thinking about things, that, how could, that, that's, that just seems the only way to go. But I'm curious, when you went to Mysore, did you become more dogmatic, less dogmatic? Did you have any realizations in your experience? <laughs>
1: like all of that. It was very, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was a strange experience. Um, one of my um, friends, one of my younger friends told me, he was like, listen, because um, he, he's been to my many times and actually lived, lived in India for a while. Um, and he was like, listen, he's like, when you come, he's like, it's going to take you months to process what happened to you. He said, just remember that and and just like try to just like be here. But I didn't listen to him. I didn't like because it's part of my personality where I'm like, uh, I don't know, like I have to understand everything right now and it has to be a certain way. And that's something I'm working with with the other parts of my practice. Yeah. Actually, it's something I'm working with because the universe is making me work with it. You know, it's like, ha ha, you can't pull it through. What's <laughs> you gonna do now? Ha ha, get rid of your beliefs, they're limiting. You know, and so, but I was in a place where everything has to make sense. It has to happen this way and what's going on. So when I went to India, all that got <laughs> turned upside down. <laughs> You know, some in the room, and like, sure, like he was on me, and you know, I would do something, and he would be on me for doing it, and then I'd look over, and a couple of max away, somebody else was doing it, and nothing except to this person. Mm. But he's like, oh, why you? Who's your teacher? I'm like, yeah, why me? Why are you? This Uh, person, I was like, what about, you know, I didn't say this to him. I was like, but what about that person down there? They just did what I just did. And they're not in trouble. And they're getting more poses. Oh, yeah. And for me, it's like, oh, oh, oh no, 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 no that's cute. And, um, yeah, it was a hot mess. And so, <laughs> so, and then, you know, before you go into the style, you're sitting there and you're looking out in the room. And I'm seeing, again, the same thing, like all these different people doing different things. And, yeah. you know, a message or a lesson that can come from that is the fact that Ashtanga does honor uh, in many ways, it does honor different bodies and different practices and ages. And, and, on, and in some ways, it doesn't. It's a very tricky of place. But anyway, yeah, yeah. and so after a while, I couldn't even look in the room like that. I would bring a book with me to read until call <laughs> called, uh, until I was called to come in because I was like, I can't look out there because my brain, which needs everything to be in its perfect place cannot look out there and see the <laughs> chaos that is that room so it kind of like knocked me off my like i don't know filter because i had gotten so dogmatic yeah. that this is what triangle looks like and and then you perfect this posture you get this posture yeah. and that wasn't happening in the room it was all over the place things happening. <laughs> and i'm like but they can't do that pose how come they got moved on oh, i worked three years for that what's I was like nothing was fitting my idea and yeah. so um it was it was great that it kind of knocked me off kilter so like i came back really confused and instead <laughs> instead of like sitting with that place and being with it as my friend tried to tell me Um, I tried to just continue as usual, which Uh, did not work because uh, there was too much inside of me that I needed to look at, hence like the kind of awakening, it's like Uh, I, I couldn't make sense of it and not through the logic that got me there in the first place, as they say. So it's like, in order to make sense of it, I had to like, you know, kind of start deconstructing. Um, but yeah, um, it was
0: interesting for sure. (laughs) That's super insightful. I love hearing that. (laughs) That Oh my gosh. I know what an incredible adventure. I, am you know, another quote that I saw you write, and I'm just curious to hear what you have to say about this is, um, or, or what, what inspired you to come up with this? You wrote, there is no universally comfortable pose. Is there a uh, is there a myth that you feel exists that there is a universally comfortable pose, or is it the idea that if I like one day I'm going to be comfortable because like it's <laughs> I'm not like it's like is it comfortable like if I sit it's comfortable for like the first ten seconds, but like thirty seconds or a minute or an hour in it's definitely not comfortable. Comfortable is not the word I would come up with. So, I mean, I guess I'm always questioning, is there ever truly comfort? But then I'm, I'm curious what you mean about like a universally comfortable pose. Have you come across a situation where you're seeing or thinking, seeing that people are, or you are thinking or you're, fi- you're finding students are thinking that, that it there's a universally comfortable pose. I'm just curious what you, what you mean.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, when I moved to Charlotte, um, I moved to Charlotte from Atlanta, um, and there was no, uh, like, a stunger community here. There uh, there were people who practiced a stunger, and they would spread out, and every now and again, they would come together and do something. But it really wasn't, there was no stunger studio like there was in Charlotte, uh, in Atlanta, so it was kind of homeless. So, to yeah, speak, once yeah, I got here. Yeah. Um, and so, to be a part of the community, you know, I started practicing vinyasa and I was like, hey, I'm gonna take, you know, this little vinyasa YPT because um, I wanted to teach in studios, but I actually wanted to teach at so in studios. But the studio here wouldn't let you teach unless you had your 200 hour mm. Um, So, even Ashanda. So, I was like, whatever, I'll just take this vinyasa training because I've been taking vinyasa, I know what it is. Yeah. Well, with vinyasa yoga, like child's pose is handed out like candy, um, <laughs> as if as if it is is a resting posture for everybody. So if someone comes to class, mm. they're new. You say take child's pose whenever you want. You can spend the whole class in child's pose. Uh. If, if you you don't want want to do a pose? Take child's pose if you don't want to. Like and so there's this idea that this is this universally comfortable. Pose for everyone, and it went as far as this studio that I work for, um, which shall not be um, named. <laughs> we <laughs> we were told that we could not start the class in anything other than child pose. Huh. Like that's how much people thought it was this universally yeah. comfortable pose. Yeah. We're taught, you start in child pose, this child pose is where you can center and be comfortable.
0: interesting. Um, just, but yeah. when
1: you start working with accessibility and actually listening to people or, and paying attention, <laughs> um, when you teach people like child pose is not just universally comfortable people um, pose. For some people it hurts their knees. for some yeah. people it hurts their hips. For yep. some people, they feel like they're suffocating because the, you know the belly and the boobs and everything. And for some people in trauma form, it can feel almost like a, mm. I don't know, like this scary place because you're like up in a ball and you can't see around you. Wow. Um, yep. Some people yep. feel like they can't breathe; their head is down, and this can be really frightening and scary. So that's where that post came from. It's like child clothes is not a universally Comfortable pose, but nothing is. There's so much that we assume mm, <laughs> is universally comfortable, yeah. and, and, and and we don't know that unless you ask. Um, so, yeah, that was my thing. There's just no universally comfortable pose that's just going to always work for everyone. And so, we kind of have to let like, go of that whole idea and actually again, be a teacher yeah. <laughs> and talk to people. Even CCP or what some people call mouth, the you know, or whatever. Yeah. That's not even universal, mm. right? Some people yeah. may need their feet wider. Some yeah. people may need to turn their toes out. Some people might like their feet together. It's Even just standing there is not universally comfortable, <laughs> you know? I mean, you can have a whole class, honestly, on Stamaskihihi.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh my gosh, that's so that that makes me that makes me think, uh, or I'm I'm curious, like your philosophy, because I can kind of see the thread of continuity in in the way you're you know teaching and or the way you're explaining how you're pro- approaching your practice. Can you help me understand how that fits in with like social justice and your feelings on? you know, how we can move together as a community with respect for each other. I mean, I can see exactly how these pieces can all fit together, but can you expand upon that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so as I started to like open my eyes, I started to ask myself, um, who is not in the room, number one? And then number two, I started to take a look at my, I hate saying yoga career because that's whatever, but that's the best word I can come up with it. Yoga career and certain things happened to me and I was in denial about why they, why they were happening. Mm. Um, there were certain trauma responses that I had in response to working in these communities and working in places where no one looked like me. And instead of actually taking a look at that, I suppressed them and which made them become something else. So I was like, okay, who's not missing in, in the room? And like, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Why are things unfolding the way that they're unfolding within within these environments? How come I don't really feel like a part of what's going on here or like something is missing? Mm. And so I started asking these questions and that's where the social justice comes in. It's this idea that, again, the yoga world loves to say that yoga is for everybody. We love saying this. It's like we like to say our practice is about meditating and sitting down eventually, but we never teach people how to meditate and sit down. Mm. We just keep taking them through third series or something. right? So it's this whole thing of like, we're sitting here saying that Yoga is for everyone, and everyone can do yoga. But where is where where are these people? When you go into a yoga class, you primarily see the same type of person. If you go to Google and do a search, you see the same type of person. If yeah. you go to Instagram and you go to the um, the um, not for you page, um, the, what, the the whatever that page is, discover page, I know what you mean. Yeah. you're going to see. And you put in some t- tags for yoga you're going to see pretty much the same type of person. You're going to run up against usually this uh, a white woman who's young, able-bodied, um, what this world would call thin. Um, and then when you go into yoga studios, you see this same woman, and this woman is usually um, extraordinarily privileged. Mm. And so that's what we see. But then we're like, but yoga for everybody. Well, where is everybody? Yeah. So that's the question uh, that I seek to ask and find out and explore. And so if it's for everybody, where are? where is everybody? Yeah. And, and really ask those questions. And why are they not in this room? And what am I doing that may be contributing to why they are not in this room? Mm. Other than making up excuses like, well, it's because they're not interested. It's not true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I talk yeah. to a lot of people who don't fit that description who actually are interested in yoga. Mm. Um, they actually do want to learn. A lot of people who fit that description actually do come to class, but they never come back. Um, and we just kind of make excuses and reasons for why they don't come in. Like, So that's the social justice part of, the, of it is, if we ask who's not in the room, there's a lot of people who aren't in the room. People who um, have things like what I have um, are not in the room uh, people who look like look are not in the room, people with a certain size, people with a certain financial um, status, they're not there. And then, so why? And that's where the social justice starts to come in. You start to ask these questions and you start to get, answer, get answers. The universe gives you answers. You start to talk to people and they're like, yeah, I never went back to that class because of this. And it's kind of like floodgates start to open as mm. you start to do this work. Yep. You start to draw more people to you who are like, oh my God, someone's finally listening to me. I felt so uncomfortable at that yoga studio because of this. That yoga teacher said this. I wanted to come back, but I couldn't because of this. And then it just opens up this floodgates. And so I'd like to say, if we say yoga is for everyone, um, what can we do to change the things within the system of yoga land? Not yoga. Yoga is, is fine. Yeah. Yoga, yeah. the the sensation of the fluctuations of the mind, it's fine. It's perfectly problem form. It's perfectly <laughs> like, it's perfectly for everybody, okay? Yoga is not the problem. And yeah. I'm talking about yoga land, yoga community, because it just, you know, our yoga studios are basically just like a smaller version of what's going on out in the world. Mm. And the world, and I live, you know, in the United States, it, it, it tends to favor a certain type of person, a certain different demographic. It tends to be tailored to that type of person. And that's what I was seeing in the studios that I was working yeah. at. Yeah. It's a particular student that they were tailoring their classes to. Um, and it was kind of a self-selection that started happening. So yeah, part of my social justice is to look at, you know, who's missing in the room, why are they missing? And that took me to social justice work because once you start to uncover who's missing and why, it that's where it takes you is to social justice. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's a big part of what I do because accessibility ties in with the social justice. It really does. Because a lot of what happens in yoga studios Yes. Is based on um, this body identification, this able-bodiedness, which that's a part of social justice is, you know, yep. dealing with yep. people who have different abilities and moving in the world in a different way. So, like, yeah, it's all uh, social justice goes hand-in-hand with all of that.
0: Man, I really appreciate that. That's a I appreciate your insight there. And I think I, I in asking the question why, and, and I agree, it's like, you know, I, that you said that you we all make excuses as to like, you know, as to the why. But I, I love that you're focusing on the accessibility element just like with something like super simple, like how we approach the posture does seem like a great solution. Like that seems like that mm-hmm. is a really great place to just kind of make it the center. Do you think there's a, another really good center to start with, or is that pretty much the, the, the basis for it, at least in terms of advice for me, if I'm asking that same question, as I look around the room and saying like, I, how how can I make it, you know, where everyone wants to come? (laughs) Is that a, is that a, is that 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 an unreasonable thing to think? I mean, I know from a yoga teacher's perspective, we're always constantly, especially when we're looking at the economics of trying to keep the rent going and the space open and everything. There's this thing of like, I've got to like figure out how to get it full, you know, and people wanting to come, the accessibility element seems like a great solution. You know, like that's like number one. Is there any other thing that you can think of that? I mean, I'm, I'm taking, uh, what, what, what is my question? <laughs> uh, I guess. Well, yeah.
1: When we're, when we're talking about things, that are systemic um, mm. and you know a lot of the things that deal with social justice and a lot of the things that deal with why certain people are missing in the room mm. are systemic um, and so it, it, it it's not overnight, it's not going to yep. change overnight, yep. it requires a might even require a dark night of the soul yep. Like we have to be willing to look at what, how we contributed to how it is mm. and really be honest with that yeah. And so, first, this is radical honesty about who's in the room, and then I started to do the research on that and really asking and discovering what our part is in everything. Um, and then, once we f- figure out what our part is, um, in order to, to move forward, it's going to take some um, sacrifice. You know, like um, I was listening to someone the other day, and they were like, sacred, you know, sacrifice comes from sacred. Um, and so, and that's why in a lot of traditions of spirituality, you hear this topless type of thing, the sacrifice, you know, there's some type of sacrifice that has to happen. Yep. You know, a lot of religions are based on this idea of someone sacrificing themselves, right? So there's some sacrifice that needs to happen um, in order to move things forward because you have a whole system that's been built on something for some, in some cases, hundreds of years. So you're not going to fix it by you know, hiring one black teacher yeah. or whatever. It's yeah. not going to happen that way. So I think it requires, number one, understanding where our heart is in it. And number two, having some defined things that you want to work towards within your yoga community or your yoga studio. Mm. So yes, you know, doing something big overnight, um, you're going to wind up in a place where you can't pay your bills. I get that. And on top of that, you're also going to wind up traumatizing people. Um, Mm. one of my teachers, Alexandria Crow, I I talked about her earlier. She talks about changing stuff really fast in a yoga class. She said it's actually traumatizing to the people that are currently coming to that class and how that's not good either. So it's so figuring out, okay, so how can I slowly start to change the space? of my studio, my practice, my community, and the world and coming up with these slow, steady steps, actionable steps that bring that forward. And again, it might cause some sacrifice. So that may mean that you bring in a teacher who is if you know, trauma informed is, is something somebody's interested in, who you bring in a teacher who's trauma informed, you put that person on the schedule, knowing that it's going to take a couple of years for that yep. class to become yep. um, to become to um, become uh, profitable. Yeah. Right. And then yep. you figure out some other ways to offset the cost of that class and offset the cost of paying that teacher. Why? Because you really believe yep. in, you know, the trauma form. Maybe you bring in a teacher that teaches accessible stuff or a teacher that teaches meditation or a teacher that teaches pranayama, Someone who does things That don't fit um what the modern Western student usually goes for. Yeah. Like this is just an example. So you as a sacrifice, you're gonna figure out some way to offset the cost of that class and keep it there. Not because it's profitable, but because it's important. And you know, little and introducing little things, even if you don't go that way. Introducing little things. So going back to the um um tiles pose um
2: (laughs) thing. Yes.
1: So maybe you're like, Okay. We're going to start playing with starting the class in a different way. Yep. You know, yep. it could be that yep. simple. We're just going to start with Kyle's pose. Maybe teachers, yeah, I, I've just realized that Kyle's pose doesn't work for everyone. Let's play around with just starting the class a little bit different. We're not going to change the whole thing. We're not gonna turn the heat down to 80 degrees when it was at 105. <laughs> we're not gonna start playing Krishna Das when we were playing, you know, <laughs> Little Wayne. We're not gonna go that far. Like that would was, that was, that was close the doors the next day, right? But it's like, can we start with that? I just yep. learned that child yep. clothes is not comfortable for everyone. Yep. Let's play around with that. And then after a few weeks of playing around with that, how did that go, teachers? Okay. All right, so let's play with, and like just start to slowly kind of play around with things and shift things and getting people educated and learning. And then once people understand and they're educated and they learn, if you're like, yeah, we changed that cow's toes and this is why, and people start to understand, oh, ah, Okay. And educating people and learning, but it's going to take number one a plan, <laughs> and it's going to take these little small systemic, um, these little small changes over time in a very clear, um, distinct way.
0: Yeah, I feel really inspired. Thank you, Shana. I love I, I love cool. your insights. I love the way you explain it. I really appreciate you taking time to, to answer all my questions that I have for you. <laughs> I have more questions. Thank
1: you for having me. <laughs> I, I, have more, I have
0: more questions, but I know we planned for 45 minutes and we're already getting a little past that. And I, I don't want to take up all your all your afternoon. And I know you're busy and got things good to do and stuff, but um, maybe in the future
1: another day. we can revisit. You know, more, yeah, we can revisit.
0: <laughs> I really, really want to take your uh, online Ashtanga chair, yoga class can you tell me how I would find that
1: so um, if you go to my wellness underscore yogi um, on Instagram yep. and you go to my link in bio you'll find everything that I'm doing and you can also go to com and find everything um, that I'm doing but I do have an accessible um, a class uh, not a class a workshop on accessibility and a that's going to be coming up in October you'll find there Then there's the uh, Accessible Yoga um, Conference where I'll be doing Chair Ashtanga.
2: Nice.
1: Um, And also, um, you can find me on, um, I think on Stars, and so you can find my Chair Yoga classes there. But yeah, there's definitely like a few Chair Ashtanga things that are gonna be coming up. So if you go to my website, ashtangayogaproject.com or go to my Instagram, wellness underscore, underscore yogini there's a lot of stuff coming up through the end of
0: the year that's on accessibility. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I'm going to put all those, I'll put some of those links in the show notes. So if people don't are driving and can't write that down, they can just go to the podcast show links at the bottom and click it. And then I'll take you take them right to it. So I'll add that in there, Shana. Thank but you. I, thank you. I, I, I hope, um, I want to, I hope to get to meet you someday. And, and, uh, I love North Carolina. So next time we head that way, I want to try to come practice with you or, or see, uh,
1: yeah, come see let you. me know. Just send me a, send me a text. It's beautiful today. If you were here today, you would be in heaven. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's perfection so out amazing. Here. Like fall <laughs> came in, fall came in strong. Oh my God. It's, yeah. it's beautiful.
0: <laughs> oh man. That sounds so great. Well, I I really appreciate it. Shana. Thank you so much, and um, I can't wait to talk to you again in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: All right, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Native Yoga Podcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of, what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review, and join us next time.